Welcome to the Blackcast. It is Christian Blad at Christian DMZ. Don't forget to like the Blackcast on Facebook. Follow at Blackcast on Twitter. And of course, we're at Blackcast.com. B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T.com. This episode is the first of three very special episodes featuring a conversation with my friend Tim Sicardo, who is a writer on Community, Vice Principals, and currently American Dad. The next two episodes are a brand new conversation I will have with Tim starting next week. But before that, I figured we should start off with his previous appearances, since many of you either haven't heard it and the rest probably don't remember, for the very simple reason that that conversation with Tim was way back in Blackcast episodes 10 and 11 and were recorded March 27th, 2013, just one day after the sixth anniversary of The Dennis Miller Show. So that'll tell you how long ago that was. The conversation with Tim was spread out over two episodes, and this is a compilation of those conversations. For fun, we've left some very dated conversations intact, particularly nerd talk about expectations for Man of Steel, but I've gone ahead and taken out a particularly uninteresting chat about the 2013 NCAA basketball tournament. You're welcome. But don't worry, Blackcast fans, this episode of the Blackcast will end the way that the Blackcast always used to end with disappointment, but also with the best minute of internet radio. But until then, sit back and relax, step inside to the Wayback Machine, step inside, walk this way, you and me, babe, hey! Hey, wait a minute. I know what this is. This is another installment of the Blackcast. Blackcast 10, 10 things I hate about you, or in parentheses, 10 things we all hate about Liev. Welcome to the Blackcast. As you know, you can always email us at blackcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at blackcast. And wait, how do you spell that? B-L-A-D-T-Cast. B-L-A-D-T-Cast. Joining me in studio, as always, Agent Starling. Will Sterling underscore on Twitter? Is that Hi right? Hi, guys. Yeah, that's it. And uh, Coltrane, not on Twitter. Damn right. God bless you, sir. Uh, and Liev on Twitter at David underscore Bujenski. <laughs> Thank you. But a uh, very special guest joining us in studio. One of my best friends in the entire world. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Mr. Tim Sicardo, who's a writer on NBC's Community and on Twitter at Tim Sicardo. Hello, Tim. Hey, everybody. <laughs> And uh, we're going to start with a very important topic that uh, Coltrane was excited to share with us. Uh, our listeners know that uh, you ventured into the world of yoga for the very first time during the Super Bowl. That's true. Tell us how it's been going. I actually have been going pretty much every Sunday. Okay. Uh, I'm enjoying it uh, quite a It's your quite church. You, it, the it way is, you go to church is you go to yoga. Damn right. All right. And I got to tell you, this week was particularly good because there's, there's always beautiful women in yoga. It's just, I don't know, they go together. Part of this has to do with living in uh, Los Angeles, West also, Hollywood. Also true. So some of our listeners in other parts of the country, you go to yoga, you might be disappointed. Yeah, I mean, we're we're in Los Angeles. You go to yeah. Trader Joe's and there's hot women. There's You go to the bank, there's hot women. You go to Weight Watchers, also, hot yeah. women. Also true. Also fantastic. <laughs> so this week there was actually a new instructor. So it was a, it was a whole, there was a new, bunch of new people in class. It was almost all beautiful women this week. I mean, there's, like I said, always, always attractive women there. But this week, it was all attractive women. And the woman partic- right in front of me, oh, my God. I was, I was thrilled to be in church that day. Have you thought about just 
thinking outside the box here. Uh, have you thought about getting a tattoo of your cell phone number? You know, advertising, getting maybe on you know on the arm. I don't know if you want to go tramp stamp, but you know somewhere that you think it'll be visible, maybe a calf tattoo. Just this way, the ladies will they'll know. Culturing is open for business. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. That is that I'm working towards that. However, I, I still have a little bit of work to do with my trainer before before we get to that point. But I'll, I'll get there. All right. Oh yeah. If, if you tattoo a number on yourself, they might also think you've been in prison. And that's, that's going to work for some of these girls. Exactly. You know, I hear you tell know? I hear tell girls like a bad boy, and that must be why my wife picked me because there ain't no better boy than this guy. Damn Christian right. Christian is wearing a leather jacket and a motorcycle helmet while he said that. Uh, excuse me while I light a cigarette. But I'm going to do it over my shoulder like Andrew Dice Clay would because I still <laughs> want to make people laugh. Oh, so another story that Coltrane brought to my attention. Tell me about the girl from Great Britain who got double D breast implants courtesy of the UK's nationalized healthcare system. I, I have to tell you, you know, score one for socialized medicine because here's yeah, a I woman- was I was completely indifferent on the issue until right now. Now I can see the use of it. <laughs> I, it was it was amazing. I was just like you know doing a little research on the internet as I always do before guy talk. Looking at boobs. I, how dare you? Yes, that's exactly what I was doing. He's appreciating art. How Thank dare you. you. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not arguing. <laughs> so I, I came across this story of this woman in Great Britain who got double D implants provided by the government because she went to her doctor and said that she was depressed because she had small breasts and she wanted to be a model. Um, was she depressed or was her boyfriend depressed? Because it, the answer could be both. It, it should be both, actually. It really could be. Although I would say, I actually would say probably both because she is what you would probably call a butterface. So this oh. helps. That's um, true. This, this absolutely you. helps. It, it'll be distracting. But Create a diversion. Yeah. But I, I just thought, you know, the story was, you know, how would you feel about paying for breast implants for, for your ta- with your tax dollars? And, you know... For all the things that my tax dollars go to, I've got to say that would be worth it. Yeah, if you could, I would in if, fact if, be happy about that. If when you voted, you got to check off, do you want to pay for potholes in the road or larger boobs? Where are you going? Larger boobs, sure. Every and day of the week, you could probably figure out a way to kind of do both. I don't know, you know, silicone pothole. I don't know. So, so this was British. I like to picture that some guy in a white wig like pounded a gavel when he decided that this was okay to do. <laughs> like, like the judge who sent uh, Mr. Toad yeah. straight to hell. I mean, it's yeah. such a cartoony thing to happen anyway that why not have it decided that way? It was part of question time with the Prime Minister. <laughs> yeah. ah, I respect the honorable gentleman from Rochester County. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And uh, our women are far too flat. <laughs> and then, of course, everybody. <laughs> That's basically question time in the prime minister. That's true. The thing that I actually found really fascinating about the story is that she didn't just go up to like a C breast, which, you know, no, which no, would have been fine. Respectful. She went yeah. all the way up to double D. Yeah, okay. <laughs> she didn't stop at C. How is that? Why does that get the music? Well. Rule Britannia, I think, is the, is the uh, yeah. And, uh, at first I was like, oh, this must be, she must have been some horrible tragedy, and she's oh, no. like, it, you know, there's a mastectomy involved, and like, oh, oh no. no. No, 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 just completely cosmetic. Oh, she yeah. She was depressed. She was depressed because she wanted to be a model, and she had small breasts. Well, you know, I like to see that, and I, and I hope, uh, of all the imports we've gotten from the UK over the years, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones... Monty Python, Russell Brand, all the great things we've gotten from the UK. I hope we get subsidized boobage. I have to say, rule boobies. They don't. Thank you. They don't call it Great Britain for nothing. Oh. Oh. 
Tiger Woods. <laughs> Best transition. Ever. I thought so. The dice transition. <laughs> I was actually going to say something. I'm like, no. Uh, Tiger Woods back on top. Oh, sorry. Tiger Woods no back problem. on top. Uh, number one ranked golfer. And we actually forgot to talk about him last week. We were going to talk about. He very publicly announced on Facebook that he and skier Lindsey Vaughn are dating. And in the very publicly posted Facebook message said, thank you for giving us our privacy. So thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome to that, Tiger. Uh, but uh, talk a little bit about how uh, Tiger is uh, back on top. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things. The question is always always comes out: wh- Does winning um, cure everything? And I kind of feel like in this case it does. I mean, people are still going to kind of make fun of him a little bit, but at the same time, if he can go back to winning like a major championship, I think it's all over. I think it, it's all forgiven. You know, yes, he blew it with his smoking hot like model wife, who, but he still has two kids with her, so I guess he still came out a winner. And now he's he's moved on. He's he's dating a, another athlete, which I think will kind of help him focus. And if he can keep winning, that's the only thing that matters. He's, he's, he's going to get his money back. And He's the best of all time at his sport. Like, there's just nothing. It'll always be there. It'll exactly. Always... So it's just getting the focus yeah. back. If he can get the mental part of his game back, he'll be fine. And he always has a table with one of those little reserved signs at Perkins Family Restaurant. So you know <laughs> you have made it when they put aside the good table at Perkins for you. Which actually, just uh, real quick, reminds me of another thing we were going to talk about last week regarding Tiger, where one of his uh, ex-mistresses, porn star Devin James... I'm not familiar with Devin James. Is that a woman, a man? I (laughs) I have no idea. It is, uh, it is in fact, a woman. Oh, tell me more. Um, I know. I've, I actually had never heard of her until this whole scandal came out. So, but I don't you know, know a lot she... about her now. I'm yes. gonna guess. Yeah. Yes. Okay, that's fair. So I don't know why she's bitter now. It, it's the same thing about a lot of these mistresses who are like, "Oh my God, I didn't know like that he was married." Really? He was like the most most famous athlete in the world. You didn't know, and that and that would have made a difference to you anyways. But she came out and she was like, "Well, it's great that he's with Lindsey Vaughn now. I mean, he's probably cheating on her already. Once a cheater, always a cheater." Really? Why do you have to be bitter? Yeah. You just got your 15 minutes of fame. Move on. He moved on from you. You moved on from him. Walk away. Like you're still going to be like one of the one of the mistresses that had sex with Tiger Woods. Good for you. Move on. No need to be bitter. That's your own life. Deal with it. Well, you know, when you're a a, a female porn star, you actually get an hour of fame because you have uh, two doses of 15 minutes and one opening. And two doses of 15 minutes in another opening. Uh, I'm not going to explain it, but it's uh, it's DVDA. I, you know, you can look that up. That gives you a whole hour of fame when you're Devon James. Although I actually feel like it's probably closer to four minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> one minute gonna, in each spot. Yeah, that's. Probably I'm just going right. to leave it there yeah. again. Not, no, no, no need fine. to elaborate. Uh, now tell me about this Baltimore Ravens player that I'm not going to try and say his name. Uh, what he was saying about uh, gay marriage. Okay, Brendan Ian Badejo. Yeah, thank he, you for uh, that. No problem. He has been uh, very outspoken in his support for gay rights and gay marriage. And recently in an article, he was he was quoted as saying that he thinks that it's becoming easier for a gay player, a gay athlete to come out publicly. Sure. But he thinks that it will happen in baseball before it happens in football or basketball because he feels like it is more religious in football and uh, basketball. Like in the locker rooms, like guys tend to be a lot more religious, so it would be a little bit harder there for an openly gay player well, to come out. You know, I don't know if I agree with his reason, but I agree that it'll certainly happen in baseball because I- I'm pretty sure we've already seen it. I mean, I can think of several players who are clearly – we already know they're gay. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is Alex Rodriguez. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking Derek Jeter. Uh, 
Eduardo Nunez, Ramiro <laughs> Pena, Mark Teixeira, just Curtis Granderson, the Yankees roster, <laughs> Ichiro Suzuki. No, no, these are. I'm just pulling these out out of nowhere. Uh, Mariano Rivera. Phil Hughes, I would have said Freddie Garcia, but I think they cut him. Boone Logan, you know. So anyway, these are just a few names that I'm pulling out of nowhere. Uh, I feel like some of those guys, and you know, I feel like there was a point. Tim and I used to have a website called uh, Inside Joke, and uh, I remember for one of the pieces we found an amazing picture of Brady Anderson. He had his shirt off, and he had a baseball bat behind him. He was wearing these little shorts, and I'm like, all right, we get it. Not only do you juice, <laughs> but you like the juice. That's okay. That's cool. So I feel like it's been going on for a while. I don't know. Uh, obviously, I'm making light of it, but it's more fun that way. But I don't know. Do you feel like he's right and that it, we'll see it in baseball before we see it anywhere else? Obviously, figure skating not on the table. What's, you know? what's weird is like I get his expertise at what a, a football locker room is like. Sure. But like, has he been in a baseball locker? <laughs> like, how, how would he know? It just. I just think that I think that what he's saying is that in the NFL locker rooms, what people don't really realize is how religious it actually breaks down in there, mm-hmm. and how many people like you think they're just like kind of jocks out there, kind of doing whatever, being wild and crazy, but. That it's actually very religious in there, and they behind closed doors are a lot more closed off, I suppose. Right, but but th- that same could be said about behind closed doors in a baseball locker room, which he has not been. Like it might be different than what he thinks. I I agree with you, and um, I'm going to go ahead and, and throw my Coltrane into this. And um, <laughs> yes, please, Coltrane. No problem, and say that I I believe that what he's going for. Although he doesn't want to say it, I know exactly what he's going for. Is he's he's going for the black element of it, where it is uh, football and basketball are primarily have black athletes who would who I think he is saying would be less accepting, yeah. uh, as opposed to baseball, which has a more diverse background. And so he, and I he think that's come what he's out going and for. say that instead of talking around. You know, because if you look at a major league baseball locker room, you know, I'm sure all those uh, Dominicans and Puerto Ricans, I'm sure they're all very accepting. You know, I feel like their culture I, yeah. embraces that sort of thing. I mean, Dennis no, Hayward no, in major league, <laughs> Dennis, is Dennis very Hayward, religious. Yes. <laughs> no, no religion at all in, in uh, Latin America. None at all. I mean, we obviously know if it's going to happen outside of the Yankee locker room where I, I believe, you know, I'm not... This it's is, mandatory. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like no facial that, hair. Well, that's and, why they let you keep the mustache. Yeah. So that, you know, you can look like you're a member of the village people. But it'll clearly happen next in Miami. I mean, it's right there by South Beach. Nobody knows who any of those players are. So they're not even being that brave by coming out. Uh, I think they've got like a $20 million uh, payroll. So I feel like it's going to come sometime this year out of the Miami Marlins locker room. I could be wrong. That You could be. that. I actually think your logic makes a lot of sense there. <laughs> I just came up with it now, so thank you. No problem. Hey, I just want to say something. You spent a good majority of that last men- segment talking about boobs, all right? Yeah. And as nerds, you know, I might be part of, not be part of guy talk, Christian, but I still like boobs, okay? You I'm know, a little upset that in nerd talk, we don't talk about boobs. We can talk about, you know, which woman on the X-Men has the biggest boobs. We That's, can talk about... Or Power Girl in the DC universe. I don't know who that is, but we could, talk, we could talk about Batgirl compared to Catwoman. That's good. It would have to be Catwoman, or am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's okay. still Catwoman. See, I'm yeah. just guessing. Yeah. Robin, there was the girl Robin. How was she? Not good. Not good. Well, see? she was okay, actually. I'm thinking of a different... That's not good. You're thinking that. of a guy Robin. See, no. that's, it always gets back <laughs> to that with you. Dick Grayson's chest is so nice. <laughs> I'm going to isolate that.
and uh, I'm going to post that on your Facebook, a little MP3 of you saying that. But of course, joining us for the Nerd Time, our very special guest for the entire day today, Tim Sicardo. I was going to give both your Twitters, and you interrupted me. You're oh, at I wanted to talk uh, about boobs. Will Sterling underscore. My Twitter was so close right. to getting out there. At Will Sterling underscore, at Tim Sicardo. What about me? When was the last time I plugged my own Twitter, at Christian DMZ? And of course, there's the official at Blackcast. Yeah. So we're going to talk about, it's kind of a two-pronged topic here. We're going to talk about something that Will's excited about that I'm not, uh, the premiere of the new season of Doctor Who on Saturday. Saturday. you spend a minute talking about how excited you are, and then uh, I can actually turn that topic over to Tim. Watch me work. Go ahead. We're behind the curtain here. Yeah, just a little bit. A little bit. How you pull the strings. I'm just really excited. I mean, it looks good. There's been a couple like little teaser And you said his girl this season is just cute. She's not hot like the one in the episode that you forced me to watch, like Cockroach Orange. She's yeah. like, whoa, wait, like blossom? So she looks Not like, like a show blossom. No, maybe she will blossom. Go through the verb to blossom, mm. to transform. So she will turn into looking like Mayim Bialik. Maybe she'll get hotter as time goes on. So Kind of like Kobe Smulders and How I Met Your Mother. You know, when the show first started, you're like, she's pretty cute. And now you're like, whoa. So you're saying she on? was fat when the show started? No, I did not say that, but did maybe. Did you imply no. that? I think you might have implied I it. didn't say that. So very excited for yeah. Doctor Who. And what I want to turn this over to Tim about is, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Tim is a writer on Community. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Inspector Space Time. Mm. Was that just like, oh, we need a Doctor Who ripoff? Or how did that come about? It strangely came about because of the uh, ABC Now TBS show Cougar Town. Okay. <laughs> um, in a previous season, in season two, we just decided that was Abed's favorite show. A few, a few um, community producers were also Scrubs producers, so they knew Bill Lawrence. And one of them actually, in a joke, named the show Cougar Town. Like, there was a, the legend goes, in a, in a Scrubs writer's room, Bill Lawrence is trying to pitch the show, and Garrett Donovan, um, a community producer who's then on Scrubs, said, oh, it's Courtney Cox. You could probably just walk in there and say, hey, the show's called Cougar Town. It's about her and a bunch of young guys, and you could sell it. And um, Bill did. <laughs> and they've been saddled with that awful name, which they themselves hate. Yeah, I haven't watched it in a while, but I, I know that in the title sequence a lot, they they would make fun of the name, like parentheses, like titles are, yeah. are hard and things They're like that. They're just stuck with it now yeah. because it's like – Quite literally, one of the weird inside things I've heard is because it's on people's DVR record lists, and if they change oh, the name to yeah. better name, then it wouldn't. People who who want to watch Cougar Town. It's all about the season lazy. pass. These <laughs> yeah, days, it seriously yeah. is. In any case, um, so Abed was a big fan of Cougar Town as kind of an inside joke. And also, if, unless I'm mistaken, he was a fan of the original Cougar Town Abbey. Uh, Cougar Town yeah. Abbey. Yeah. Th- us, this will come into this. Uh, okay, great. Yeah, Sorry. So he's a fan of Cougar Town, and that particular season, Cougar Town was delayed till mid season. So we were like, oh, he, Abed would be very upset about this. Um, he needs to watch another show. And that's where Cougarton Abbey came from. Like, oh, he'll watch the original British version of Cougartown called Cougarton Abbey. But there's only six episodes. So he gets very upset when that's over. So he needs another show. So the idea was like, oh, what's a show that's going to give him the most episodes possible? A show that's been on for like 50 years. So that's where we kind of got our ersatz Doctor Who, which was Inspector Space Time. My favorite aspect of the entire legend of Inspector Space Time, of course, is the Inspector Space Time Christmas special, <laughs> which it's not the Gus Van Sant shot for shot remake of Psycho, but there's a lot of very nicely done uh, homages to uh, and we've talked a little bit about the Star Wars holiday special, to be literal. Oh, uh, yeah. The Star Wars holiday special uh, on this. And you can find it on YouTube. I'm not going to post any links to it because I'd be afraid that they would get taken down. And I think the more people that see the Star Wars holiday special, a.k.a. Life Day, 
<laughs> where they go to the Wookiee home world. It's just one of the most amazing things. And unfortunately, the best part of it is seeing the old commercials from 1978, like introducing the Egg McMuffin and right. things like this, the toy commercials. All that stuff is great. Or look for the union label and remembering. Oh, and of course, the newscaster tease. The Frizzies. Fighting the Frizzies <laughs> at 11, which turns up in a great uh, South Park Christmas episode. I think the first one they did in 1999. They just have basically the same – a guy who looks a lot like that newscaster with a fake wig and a mustache. And just throughout the episode, he keeps teasing, fighting the frizzies more at 11. Just like you kept seeing that. And it's like, well, we should probably fight the frizzies. It seems important. Anyway, that was definitely a tangent. But uh, the Inspector Space Time holiday special, I'll call it, did uh, you guys sit around in the writer's room watching – the Christmas special, or just uh, we did not need to. Like everyone had, <laughs> everybody seen had it. seen it. Right? Um, yeah. I think we probably pulled it up to show some people who hadn't seen it, like just how bad parts of it were. But like you know, it's like two and a half hours long. You couldn't yeah. sit there. Like I didn't even like like what. No one talks for the first half hour. It's like well, just, there's like, a, there's some Wookiee uh, communication. It's a bunch of grunting between yeah. a bunch of like Wookies that that are. Like, like the grandpa Wookiee and the kids and the wife. You mean Lumpy? <laughs> Lumpy and yeah. Mala. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, Itchy is, Itch. uh, oh, I believe, Itchy. his son. Art Carney's there, and he's, uh, he's oh, you know, just trying to fix the equipment. And, uh, yeah, and it's like you've, you've never felt worse for Harrison Ford in the beginning of it because you're watching him. He's acting. He's being Harrison Ford. Try, you know, he's Harrison Ford trying to be Han Solo. He's working really hard at this. And it's awful. But he's like... What I'm a pro. This is what I do, and you know. Then you get to see uh, post car accident uh, Mark Hamill. That's what I was gonna say. Isn't that the first time yeah. his like new scar had been like, yeah. shown to the world? And they and they hadn't uh, had him run into uh, the Bumble from uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed <laughs> Reindeer at that point. So you know, I don't know if it quite makes sense. And uh, Carrie Fisher sings. I mean, it's it's one of the single most amazing things ever. When you think about the way people are so protective of their brands now, and you wouldn't let just like, oh, yeah, yeah, Bruce Valanche is going to write you a script. He's uh, going to put uh, B. Arthur as a cantina owner. Uh, Art Carney. You know, basically everybody who's in every uh, 70 special. What I'd love to know is uh, how much anyone was paid for that. Lucas got a check for what? In Egg McMuffin. They're paid in Egg McMuffins. Yeah, yeah. it probably yeah. was the Egg McMuffin. <laughs> they were new. I can do an entire broadcast about the uh, Star Wars holiday special, which may be at Christmas time. We'll talk more about it. So, how much screen time did the Inspector Space Time holiday special get? Not that much. Not but much. I really enjoyed yeah, how much. What's crazy there was. is over the course of the series, like actual Inspector Space Time clips, like I don't know, maybe a minute and a half total, but it blew up so crazy on the internet, like. The very morning after the first time we had an Inspector Space Time thing on the show, there was a, a wiki that had, I think, a forty-year history of the show. <laughs> it was nuts. It was we were we were just blown away by it. We're reading all this stuff, like all these actors that had come in and out. Like people just created a whole universe overnight. And then we've just since then we've had fun kind of using the, some of the fan generated stuff and going back and forth with them. And there's Inspector uh, Space Time conventions as well. Oh yes, yes. yes. So <laughs> it, it would make perfect sense if the show had been on that. Oh one. yeah, at Comic Con people came dressed like Inspector Space Time. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Awesome. Yeah, like people, it, it's, it's really cool. You went to the panel at Comic Con, right? Yeah. Were you on the panel, or did you just? I, I was not. I, I just okay. attended. They didn't, I didn't no want to see me. Look, I've been to panels where it's like it's like all the writers and like one person from the cast. So, yeah, yeah. I, know, I, I didn't know. I didn't. Well, good for. I, I've good been for on your smaller show. panels. Yeah. Uh, there was a Communicon this year they threw for us, and I was on that panel. But for Comic Con, they just want to see the actors. Right. And, and no, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I've been to those uh, Paley Fest ones for Mad Men and some other shows, mm -hmm. and the writers are all there. 
they get referenced, but uh, yeah, you're we, right. We wave from the audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get that moment like, you're like, oh, and that person's funny. Hi. So you went to Comic-Con. Did you uh, have any particular... I've only been to Comic-Con one time. I went a couple of years ago. Stunningly, I'd never been. Any? Uh, did you see anything amazing that you wish you could unsee or maybe was no, just really... I, mean, cool? I was down there for such a small amount of time. It was right. like a sniper attack. I, I stayed with a friend. <laughs> that's that's and, the way to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, and I didn't... I, it wasn't because I didn't want to be there, just because that was the way it was. Like I stayed with a friend and... and uh, uh, Chappie. Chappie. Yep. Shout out to Chappie. That's right. Well, I figure he's going to listen since you're on this in, one, uh, so. in, in um, like northern San Diego County. And uh, so I took the train in the morning of, I got there like a half an hour before the panel. I watched it. It was awesome. We hung around, like walked around a bit and just kind of gawked at stuff and then went home that day. So I didn't even spend a night there. So but you were, you were, even if you were only there for a couple hours, you probably saw what? 20 or 30 slave layers, you know. Oh, pizza. yeah, yeah, of course. Like, all, <laughs> and, and it was, it all was, shapes and sizes. It was amazing. It was so much fun. Yeah. Um, uh, but I didn't see anything just like I saw like a crazy, like, guy in a bird costume getting into an elevator, like, which in itself was nothing. But it was just like, oh, yeah, that's what happens here. Like, even that yeah. guy's got to take an elevator, even though he dressed up like a crazy bird. <laughs> uh, what I find amazing at, at Comic Con is the amount of money that people will spend on their homemade garb. I saw, I'm going to have to post this picture. I saw someone, I, I believe it was a woman, although I don't remember how I, 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 they must have taken the helmet off. So it was the Boba Fett armor, but it was yellow and black. With Wolverine claws, oh. so basically oh, wow. she had yeah. taken Boba Fett and combined it with Wolverine, and I'm like, wow, that's amazing! But oh my god, how much did that cost, and why would you do such a thing? Because they just work a regular nine to five at Joe Schmo's <laughs> office building all that day. That sounds like, like, like an evil, they're... an evil genius kind of thing. Yeah, to right. Do. Like He's fed <laughs> up with his job, so he becomes Boba-reen or and, whatever. And here's, <laughs> the, and, and here, here's the thing. Now, unfortunately, Fox has the movie franchise for the X Men. Right. If it ever reverts to Disney, they could do it. They could do it because they have Star Wars now. So we could get a Wolverine Fett. Would it be Wolverine Fett or Boba Reen? I, I don't like know. Boba Reen kind of. Boba Reen's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Boba, there we go. And you could you, you could use the Beach Boy song Barbaran. You could change mm-hmm. it. See, we. Oh wow. I. You know we're gonna have to delete this part from the podcast because this is too good an idea to give away for free. Anyway, moving on to Wolverine. You were saying I actually didn't watch this. I want to know what you thought. Okay. The trailer for the Wolverine. Yeah. It's online. And how long is it? I thought that it was a like, really short. Oh, there was like a twenty-second one yeah, yesterday, that, okay. and then there the full one released today. There's a, oh. there's a domestic and international trailers. I can't believe I'm wasting my time with this stupid podcast. What are you doing? Watching those trailers, yeah. but anyway, what is so, the difference between the domestic and just different footage? The international trailers, for some reason, are always better. Yeah, I don't know why. They're like, hey, guess what? We're going to show the people who don't speak this language. Are they less the dialogue heavy? Is that the idea? Like, not necessarily. It's just like to showcase more. St- it's kind of like. Because they might not be familiar with characters, they want to see, see like, it's going to be 3D, look at all the effects, and look at all the magic. Got it, got But it, this got one it. was, like, more about story for some reason. I don't know why that, that they got the international trailer, but who knows. Anyway, they're awesome. Yeah. You said that there's something very silly, though. There, There's, like, a train fight. And it's like, you know when you're watching a trailer for a movie, and you're like, oh, this looks really great, and then there's that one scene where you're like, that looks so... Digital. I can't. They just look like rubber men, like fighting, and they're like, like on a train. Anaconda style. Yeah, and I, yeah. they're just fighting. You mean like and he the, flies at him with his claws out? Do they and look I was as like, bad as? This? Do they look as bad as the Cybermen? Yeah, that's right. That was supposed to hurt. Yeah, a Christian. The Cybermen are tangible though. They're guys in suits, so mm-hmm. they can never look that bad. Mm, fair enough. They All exist. Right. Yikes. All right. <laughs> Somebody got his uh, his uh, Bulberine claws out on the that Cyberman one. looked pretty decent. I mean, he's still obviously guys in suits. But I knew I shouldn't have gone back to that. Given that they have a budget. Mistake. My apologies. <laughs> so uh, you were telling me about 
Uh, Roland Emmerich, he's got an upcoming movie called White House Down, which White is not House the Down. movie that's in theaters now. No, Olympus, Olympus has, has fallen. fallen. This nope. is not the same. It is the same, but not the same. Right, movie. right. It's not the actual same like two hour no. cinematic release, but it's the same story. But what does this one have? Oh, Channing Tatum. Yep. So that's the difference. This one will actually make money. Probably, yeah. Although I think Olympus has fallen and did all right. What do you know about it, basically? It, I just saw the trailer this morning, and it's it's Channing Tatum, who looks strikingly like John McClane. He's wearing the white wife beater like tank top with the like, bo- uh, like come gun out to the vest coast, thing, and his laughs. hair is like all short. All right. Yeah, and I was like, wow. So it's like he's got to protect the White House. They don't give you a whole lot of information as to what he does, but he's got to. Him and Jamie Foxx have to save the White House. Do you know, from what do we know? From t- terrorists, uh, but I, they yeah. might be American terrorists. I feel like they're going. They're like, you know That's what? We're probably, not going to go international. I mean, We're going to go. You want to release it around the world, our... so you might as well have it. You know, might as well have Timothy McVeigh take over the White right. House, right? Yeah, because you know you have North Korea do it. Well, then yeah, you know, and if you you know, they probably wouldn't release it in the Middle East, but You're still not right. allowed to have China do anything. No, anymore. oh no, they because they yeah they pay for everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I mean, China won't even let Chinese people be in our movies. That's why Gandhi is playing the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. <laughs> you know, they're, no, no, you can't hire any Asian actors. They probably would have had uh, Kim Jong. Is that his name the, from your show? Uh, Ken Jong. Ken Jong. Who is Korean. Yeah. No, yeah, <laughs> Kim exactly. Jong. It doesn't matter. Uh, or the guy from Lost. Don't know his name, but he's also the guy from Hawaii Five-0. Oh, the that's guy from right. Hawaii he's yeah. the guy. He's, he's the, the guy. guy. That guy. He's the guy. That yeah. would be an awesome Hollywood nickname. Get me the guy. The guy. Are you sure you need the guy? Yeah, he's the only one that can handle it. <laughs> you said that there's a more, uh, let me use your term, Roland Emmer garbage. He's planning <laughs> two sequels to Independence Day. Why? Are you kidding me? I don't know. Just, I mean, I know people love that done. movie. I, I forget. That was like right when I was first in college I came out. And- I, I I will steal what Bill Maher said his problem was with it, and I, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. So he's like, okay, so these guys, they show up in an Edsel. Yeah. And they fly in, and they blow it. So nobody recognizes this, like, 50-year-old, old, you know, spaceship that comes in and that, you know, can't sync up with any of the technology. But they let it on through, and it blows it up, and everything's fine. So, I mean, that's one of many problems with that movie. Right. And at no point, I mean, if you're going to have a president in a movie, and at no point does he tell people to get off my plane, I don't know if I want to see it. Yeah, he has to say that. But he didn't say it. Welcome and I mean, to, I, I, I mean, love Will Smith did get to say, welcome, welcome to, to Earth. Earth. Yeah. yeah I mean, true. that was pretty good. Yeah. But that's all. I mean, that makes up for your comment about Dick Grayson earlier. That you that was a very manly welcome to Earth. So, but he's going to do two. And wait, you're. I don't know why. Now, oh, the first one, they have to rebuild the White House, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Independence Day. It's called ID Forever. No. no. ID Forever Part One and ID Forever Part Two. Oh, I thought it was ID Forever and Ever. ID Forever and Ever. <laughs> Who's asking for this besides Roland Emmerich's bank account? The guy who's writing White House down, yeah. who's also <laughs> helping him write the script. Yeah. He's going to have scenes taken out of it, and he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to save these yeah. for ID forever. ID forever. Val Kilmer and uh, Chris O'Donnell are going to wear their nipple latex bat suits <laughs> and All right, save well, now, the world from aliens. Now we'll probably go see that. Speaking, <laughs> This is completely off topic. Speaking of Val Kilmer, I don't know if you Ooh. guys know. Do you know about his one-man show as Mark Twain? No, but here he it's amazing. I only and, know from Twitter because occasionally he would like – Tweet pictures of himself like dressed as Mark Twain sitting on the beach and like yeah. just, like weird and, stuff. And he would do like unannounced impromptu shows. I think he did one at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Yeah. He's actually like taking the show out right now. Uh, not right now, but very soon. And he's going to be at the Kirk Douglas Theater here in Culver City. We have to go. So, you know, we have to go. And it's called An, An Evening with Fat Mark Twain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I believe it is. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, but I mean, I, I Dennis and I have talked about this on the show. Nothing seems more amazing slash train wrecky, but still emphasis right back on amazing than this idea of him like being in characters Mark Twain. I don't even care what he talks about. I don't know. I just think it's probably not as amazing as I want it to be, but just the fact that, you know, he'll stand up there. I'm going to hope he doesn't break character, but, you know, if he wants to do any songs from Top Secret, yeah. that would be great. Yeah, it'll just be Mark Twain oh, talking I about heat the whole time. Top Secret, yeah. what, what an amazing I, movie. It's an amazing <laughs> movie that no one ever gives credit for because it's like one of considered one of the lesser like Zucker Brothers movies but it's so funny and all the songs the and... songs are so well written and well choreographed and, and the jokes are so subtle I mean I had seen Val Kilmer in some other movies like obviously he's great and uh, real genius but yeah. I didn't know how funny he was until I saw that and I'm like oh my god he's hysterical and that movie Top Secret I would strongly recommend we had uh, we had David Zucker on the show years and years ago and we had him on for more than one segment so when we brought him back we had to play uh, skeet surfing. Yeah, that's what I was and, thinking of. And uh, you know, he he appreciated it. He likes that people have seen the movie and enjoy the movie. I mean, it's so funny. I would say we've seen Airplane, we've seen The Naked Gun, but I would say Top Secret at the top of the list of you know lesser seen, and then all six episodes of Police Squad yeah. are hysterical. Uh, I mean, there's some great cameos in there too. Uh, Tommy Lasorda, Dick Clark, I forget who else. There's there's a few good ones. And like jokes that were then put into the Naked Gun movies. Yeah. Yes. That were some of them were done better in the show, and some of them were done better in the movie, and it's just weird to kind of say, oh yeah, I know that joke, but that why didn't it work this time? And then there's non OJ Nordberg. Oh yeah, where the name Nordberg uh, makes white, sense. White, white, white Nordberg. Yeah, yeah. The, the the name Nordberg. You're like, yeah, he kind of looks like a Nordberg, but not uh, not uh, not the juice. <laughs> anyway, that we got completely off topic there. William, tell me. How silly the trailer for World War Z looks. I haven't watched it. I don't know that I'm excited about zombies no. in general. I know people watch The Walking Dead. I, I haven't seen it. The I'm not saying it's thing. not good. I just don't watch it. Yeah. So Have World you seen War it? No. Uh, it's so, I haven't it's got to it. Like Brad Pitt and his family, you know, they got to run away. They go to Russia. Somehow they're able to, amidst the zombie Well, zombies wouldn't want to go Jump there. on a plane, yeah. go to Russia. Sure. The zombies on the plane. They got to fight the zombies, get to Russia. If there were snakes on the plane, I would watch it. But there's zombies on the plane. Yeah. I'm I still want not, these I'm mother. Yeah. Effing zombies. Off this, yeah. Anyways, what is? Have you guys seen uh, Snakes on a Plane? Like the the free TV edit for for that. I have line? not no. seen that. Actually. Oh, it's crazy. And I'm, these are the wrong words, but it might as well. Be, it's something like get these monkey fighting zombies off this monkey fighting plane or snakes. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's that could really be better. Crazy. I don't yeah. know. That might be better. Monkey fight. If I saw Samuel Jackson say monkey fighting, uh, it might snakes. be monkey fighting. Or I might so, be making that. Well, up. we'll have to. We'll look it up and we'll post it in the in the notes for the podcast. But of course, getting back to John McClane, there's none better than the TV edit for Die Hard. That's right. I he saw says, that. Oh my Yippee god! Yippee ki Mr. Falcon. <laughs> have you seen Falcon? the? Yeah. The, the the Die Hard two, I think it is like TV edit. It's on yeah. YouTube. Like all of the instances they cut together where they change the swear words, and it's hysterical. Like some of the it's, words that they choose. It's just... hardly fine cinema, but uh, they did a TV edit for the Kevin Smith movie Mallrats, and they had to loop all of Jason Mewes' dialogue because pretty much everything he said was a word they'd have to bleep. So they couldn't just change the word. So there, there's like another actor that says basically <laughs> everything he says in the entire movie because it was it was a little risque. Yeah, that that's something to do is like a, a you know a theater that shows like great TV edits oh, of, of movies that were good and then yeah. they're like ruined and made like better. That. Or it would just be a fun <laughs> theater show to take a, a movie and make bad TV edits yourselves right. like, on purpose, oh, like edit so like funny. every other with Django. Do that with Django. 
That could be amazing, right? Yeah. Speaking I mean, of Django, a lot of opportunities there. Yes. <laughs> I saw I, I saw Django with Mr. Sicardo. What you talking about, Nutella? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I saw Django with uh, with Tim, and before it started, we saw a little trailer for a movie called. Painting Game. Yeah. Oh, and uh, I don't know if, uh, if Tim, if you're all caught up on the Black House, but we've gotten a lot more excited because it is going to be the best, worst movie ever, possibly worst, best movie ever. Whoa, best. Where's the worst It's place? amazing. It's best, no, no, everything's amazing. Yeah. Because the scene that I think made Tim and I laugh the hardest is the one that I always quote back to Will, which is, I don't know where he's about to go, where Marky Mark's <laughs> about to go off to, but he's just, what is he? He's just like, hold on, I need another pump. He's like, I got to get a pump. And, yeah. then, and then the rock's like over his shoulder. What's right. he saying? He's like, that's right, get it. It hurts. I know it does. That's right. <laughs> I don't know where they're going with that either. It's so ridiculous. It's just... and, and it's like, from uh, you know, that movie brought so much laughter to me. And the first time I saw the trailer, I'm like, I legitimately can't wait to see it. <laughs> We're all going to go see it together and uh, do a uh, do a wrap up for the, for the black cast oh, thereafter. It is going to probably be amazing. I would I would make sure you go on the first weekend. Oh yeah, <laughs> you might not. Yeah, have even, yeah, even though even, <laughs> even though we live in LA and uh, there's uh, movies that have been on DVD for six months that are still in theaters, might need to check out Pain and Gain early. But in terms of uh, movies you're very excited for, William, mm. uh, what were you saying about The Man of Steel? David what, Goyer, the writer. This question about Lex Luthor. Oh, somebody said like, oh, how do you feel about like you know this being the first movie where Lex Luthor isn't in it? And he's and he's and first of all, that's not true, because he's right. not in part three with Richard Pryor. That's true. And is he in part two? Yes, uh, he is. He is in part two. He all works right. with. And he's Zod. unfortunately in part four with. Uh, unfortunately, John Cry- he creates nuclear man. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> Come on. With John Cryer as his nephew, that's the most. Oh, yeah. That is the most unfortunate <laughs> thing about Superman 4 is John Cryer as Lex Luthor's nephew. Yeah. I don't even know what his name is in it. And who I, cares? I, I, yeah, who cares? It's probably just John Cryer. I was very disappointed that he was in uh, Superman Returns because as much as I love Kevin Spacey, which I can talk about House of Cards for you know whole rest of the podcast, but I'm going to stay focused. Uh, as much as I like Kevin Spacey, I don't know, to me, forever, Gene Hackman's going to be my Lex Luthor. I, I don't want to see anybody else. Minus the he's, wig. He's still around. I'm all right with the wig. I get it. You know what? If you're, I don't. If you're, if you're the greatest criminal mind of the 20th century, you can figure out how to get hair on your head somehow. True. Yeah. Because how did just he lose missiles it? Missiles to break did he lose California it in a fire? off. He. I don't know what it was. Yeah. I it mean, was silly. It, it wasn't just hereditary. Yeah, no, no, right, exactly. That wasn't part of his tragic no, story. No, yeah. it's not. Actually. My dad had it's like, it, it's like, not my dad, but my grandfather. It's oh, yeah. a generation. <laughs> On my mother's side. Yeah, right, exactly. Because <laughs> my dad had a lot of hair, but I didn't get it from him. So that would be, that'd be great. But anyway, so there's he's, a chance that Lex Luthor yeah, might be said, in this who, movie. Yeah, he said, who said he's not in it, is what David Gore, the writer, said about Lex. All right, well, we're going to have to uh, keep an eye on that. And uh, Interesting. You can take that either way. You can take that like, oh my God, who spilled my secret? Right. Or you can take that as just like, what idiot said something that's so yeah. wrong? Who said that? Yeah. Stupid. Yeah, maybe we'll put the Wonder Twins in. Yeah. You don't he, know. Speaking of that, okay. it's amazing you said that. In the same interview, someone said, who are the Superman, like minor Superman characters you'd love to introduce in a movie? And he said, the Wonder Twins. No. And then he said, I'm not joking. Why would you? But from, not in a serious the, way. So he was friends? like, maybe for like four minutes, but I just, I want to put them in the thing. So that like they could the die cool hard. 2013 yeah, Wonder the Twins. The CW Wonder Twins. Or why Twins. don't they just die horribly? Like, that would be all right. That probably, you, know, you could... Form of death. They just destroy Form themselves. Form of death. Yeah. Form of we're gone. <laughs> no, that would work. Keeping it on the uh, the DC topic for a moment. Ryan Reynolds not interested in the Justice League. Why? I, well, probably because he doesn't want to be Green Lantern but ever it, again. But I if don't it's well it written, a... it can be cool. The Green Lantern's awesome. Well, then why didn't they write the first one well? 
which is funny because comic book writers wrote that script, and so when I saw Could it, I was that like, be the What's problem, wrong, guys? Should it's they true, have maybe actually. brought some movie writers in? Just no, saying. yeah, they should have. They should have. It's very true. All right, so but he's out. Yeah, but somebody somebody would probably play him. Is the Justice it. League movie happening? Are we like Eventually. sure about that? All right, I think so. You know, Avengers two is going to be so much better. So who cares? Whoa, hey. And then we'll end know. we'll end on something you're excited about that I don't know what it is. What's Oblivion and why? That Tom so Cruise movie. The no, new Tom Cruise movie with Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. No, yeah. I know. <laughs> Morgan Freeman. Yeah. It just looks cool. I love. I actually. I'm in the minority of people who like Tron Legacy. I don't know. No, like I liked Tron Legacy. Like I didn't Tron. love Tron Legacy. But my favorite part of Tron Legacy was uh, Dude Tron. Was you know like the older like hippie version of Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. Yeah. I, I wanted to call him Jeff Daniels, and I knew that was wrong. <laughs> Jeff Bridges' character. I was literally like, uh, Jeff who? Jeff Bridges' character. You know, the yeah. sort of like the combination of his Tron character and his big Lebowski and character. And his dude character. Yeah, no, no, I Which love that. Which kind of is the same. If you watch the original Tron, it's actually Which, not that yeah. different. He's pretty much just the dude in the 80s. So he's just the dude in yeah, general. I think All it's right, just Jeff Bridges. Um, but it's so the anyway, same director, so Joe one. Kaczynski or whatever his name is. And it just looks, I'm like, I like the I idea saw a trailer of for an that. original sci-fi and movie the, idea. Uh, a reboot. We talked last week about how the Will Smith and his son movie looks terrible. Oh but my goodness. They look like very similar movies to me. They don't. The color scheme is different. Wait, I'll whoa, say that. whoa, whoa! You're saying that because they're black? How dare you? <laughs> Morgan Freeman Why is in it. Why would you bring Christian? that racism? You into can't my see book? it, but I'm leaving the podcast. <laughs> I'm walking. I'm halfway down the hall right now. I'm saying like the color tone of the film itself. So like After Earth is all green and bright, and there's tigers and stuff. Yeah, and it just I don't, it looks dumb. But After Earth is all gray and like ble- you know bleak and sort of depressing. But it's like and the score is being done by M83. And the guy who was a music supervisor for Tron Legacy, who also did the music for the Tron animated series Uprising, which is a great score. Here I go. Super nerd um, Tim, let Good me interrupt music. for a second. You have any idea what M83 is when he just said it? Because um, I don't. And I know what like, M80s. We used to throw them in toilets when I was <laughs> yeah. We used to knock on people's front door and light them. Uh, you're just talking to two guys in the mid 30s. We don't know what M83 this is, is. This is the this is the nerd, the super nerd coming out. It's This is my musical score, movie score, nerd side. Anyways, good music. If it has a good score, and I've heard some sample tracks, it sounds awesome. All right, so you're excited about Oblivion. I mean, I actually, I'm on kind of what I think is a short list of people that I know. I have no problem with Tom Cruise in a movie. I like him a lot. Neither do I. He's good. You know, I liked the last Mission Impossible. Yeah. I have no problem. I can can take my mind out of him, you know, jumping up on the couch on Oprah and all that stuff. Hey, if you're excited to be with Katie Holmes, I mean- wouldn't you jump on a couch? Yeah, I don't think he was that excited, but you know, I mean, well, they told him he's to be a, he's a good actor. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I'm still I'm not sold on that movie. But you'll you'll tell me because you'll see. It. I'll let you know. I'll probably see GI Joe on Friday, so I'll let you know about that too. All right. Well, we'll we'll hear about all of that yeah. next time. But uh, we've got my friend Tim Sicardo here for a little bit longer, and I did want to talk to him. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you, sir, are a writer on uh, NBC's very funny community which at this moment thursdays at 8 p.m i believe i, I believe like, correctly okay i had to make sure i you never know you never know when they're like no we got a two-hour block of whitney on right now and then uh, when that's burned off we're gonna have that half episode of up all night with a studio audience before they all left you don't have to comment on that. This is just me <laughs> it's talking. It's crazy. That's my this comment. Is, this is just me talking. As uh, most of you don't know, uh, Tim and I were roommates when we both moved to Hollywood. And uh, as someone made fun of us for, we literally moved directly under the Hollywood sign. I think we lived under the double L's. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, But uh, you, we have a few minutes, so you can talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about how you went from you know pulling up in your beautiful Saturn in Hollywood, <laughs> and uh, how that got you in your current role as a writer on Community. 
Uh, well, it came out here, and the long and short of it, I was a page in New York with you, and there wasn't too many comedy opportunities, so we were working for Law & Order type shows. And I came out here just for more comedy opportunities and finally kind of made my transition from that world into the world of comedy as a writer's assistant on Community, uh, my first season there, and just kind of worked my way up. You know, eventually they let me write an episode, and I started contributing to other episodes and then became a full-time writer. And your episode uh, that you wrote last year, uh, in case anybody's interested, what was the the title of uh, it? The I mean, they can find it on iTunes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the episode from season three was called um, "Course Listing Unavailable," right? Um, and then the uh, one otherwise was... known as "Starburns Funeral." That's oh, the right, of course. Way to, uh... And uh, what was the title from this year? It was just a couple weeks ago. This, right? yeah, the, uh, this it's it's as as we're recording this, it's the most recently aired one. It's called "Economics of Marine Biology." Right, that's it. I I couldn't quite. I I'm like, oh, I know it's good. all our names are just really convoluted and crazy. <laughs> and it was like it started in the season one. That they had to sound like a course class, like from a, uh, a listing from a course catalog, and then that just became very difficult, and all they're, so they're all overly wordy and yeah. And uh, for our, our listeners that don't know much about a uh, a half hour comedy writers room, and I actually don't know nearly as much as I would like to, just talk a little bit about what it's like. You know, so you kind of go off and you write a script. Uh, well, I mean, the, the process or, you know, is the, basically the writer, but I'm using you as the example. Yeah, writer, yeah. the process is basically. You know, first there's an you know there's the idea of the of, of an episode, and it's assigned to a writer. It may or may not be the person who came up with that idea. Like for my my episode last season, we knew we needed to do Starburn's funeral. It was my turn in the batting order, so to speak. So mm-hmm. that was my episode. This year, I wanted to do or I pitched an episode about um, recruiting a student, and uh, it worked out that they said, oh, you know what, you can write that one, that that fits into where you were supposed to write one anyway, okay. and since that was your idea, you get to keep it. So sometimes you get to do yours, and sometimes you just do ones that are that are kind of generated by the room. So you basically, we call break the story, which is beat by beat, this happens, that happens, at the end of Act 1, this is where we leave it, then this happens, then that happens. You, you break the story with the room. So everybody's kind of helping you um, you know, you're you're on point as the writer of that episode, but the room is giving you ideas. The room is saying, "I don't think that works." So you have you, have, you know all these great um, writers weighing in on everything. So by the time you go off the script or off to outline, you know it's pretty solid because you've had a lot of people um, looking at it and finding potential problems and, and helping me with it. So then the, the the writer of that episode goes off for a week, week and a half, writes a, a draft of it comes back and then you kind of get more notes from the room sometimes as you're writing the draft you're like oh this is not as easy as we thought it was when we are all talking about broad strokes right yeah you you know you come back and you have to rewrite some stuff sometimes you come back and that's kind of what airs minus a bunch of great jokes that get added um once the once the script kind of goes to the final pass which is like a joke room where you're basically doing what we try to call beat jokes Oh, that's a great joke, but it's a B plus. I bet we could beat it. And that's, right. For my money, that's the most fun. And so that's like after you've you know you've written whatever your first draft is, mm-hmm. you beat out the jokes, and then is there then a read through? And then... oh yeah, there's, there's a table read, okay. um, which is uh, the cast reads it um, in front of like an audience of people who work on the show, and also our network and studio executives. So they will weigh in um, after after the table read, and then also will weigh in after. Like we'll notice things played better or didn't play as well as we thought they would and there'll be you know another round of either rewrites or sometimes again like you're just punching up if everything seems to be going well story wise uh, and then it's uh, we we shoot it in five days, um, right? Movie style. Does on. it change much after the table read? Like, do you punch? You, like you I, I were just honestly saying, say, there's it... sometimes where like my last year's episode basically we shot the table 
script except for like a few jokes we added. And then sometimes we scrap the entire script and write a new one in like under a day because right. it just that's sometimes it works, sometimes it, just, it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. You know, sometimes, oh wow, that actor's sick and he had a huge role. I guess we have to rethink everything. You know, so, I mean, there's a lot of, I've seen it happen every possible way. Uh, and not to make you isolate specific things, but uh, it's of just kind of a rough percentage of from the first draft that you actually turn in when you know you're you're done for the first time. How many jokes that are in there like exactly make it on the air? I mean, you know, just oh. kind of rough, very rough estimate. Uh, I mean, this year I had a, a fair amount of stuff in there. I don't know. I mean, it's just a lot of it changes and 10, gets punched 20, up and something yeah. like that. I mean, you, you know, it, okay. it, it, it's. Uh, it's different every time. Yeah, I, I've gotten different accounts depending on the shows people have worked on. So I was yeah. just kind of. Okay, wondering. there's also sometimes it's like you wrote a great first draft and um, we need to change it because of something that has nothing to do with how good it was. Something to do with like an, a season long story arc right. or, or an, an actor who, who isn't available, like we were saying, or just like. Or, any, any, or we, could, we, we can't build the SeaWorld set because it's too expensive. <laughs> so then you end up writing another draft. Um, not because that first one wasn't good, you know what I mean? Right, exactly. So in general, uh, the the cast is usually pretty supportive. You know, they read it. And uh, is there a lot of improvisation? Sorry, I, I don't know why I didn't just say improv, but I, I felt like I had. Is there is there a lot of improv <laughs> yeah, you, you on your show? You said the French yeah. word. Improvisation. Is there a lot of it on on your show, there, or just there a little? Isn't just because you know it's network TV and 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 you want to know that you have the thing. But we have so many great improvisers in the cast. Jim Rash, who plays the dean, and right. Donald Glover, who Oscar plays, winner, um, Jim yes, Rash, Oscar winner, Jim yes. Rash. You're legally required to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Donald Glover, who plays Troy, are very good at improv. So sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll get some some good lines in here and there. But we don't um, plan on that or, right. or rely it's, on I, that. I know there's shows that they're like, all right, make sure we get it in the script, and then we'll do the improv takes. That's not what you guys usually do. We don't even do. do improv takes, but right. we will, like, you know, between takes, someone said, I have, I have a good line. Or sometimes they'll someone will just drop in a different line after we've done it a while. Um, so, you know, it's not even a part of the process, like, you know, like a Judd Apatow movie, it's part sure. of the process, but, um, it does happen occasionally and we have some people who are really good at it. So when it does happen, it's good. I wanted to kind of ask you more of a general question about the cast in general. You read a little bit about the cast of Community and, uh, we've had Joel McHale on the show. We like him. Uh, my wife knows Alison Brie a little bit because mm-hmm. she's on Mad, Mad Men. Men I've been at parties where Alison Brie is there. She's very nice. Uh, but uh, just talk a little bit about the uh, the main cast, as it were. I mean, all these people you mentioned, and it's, it's, it's one of the best casts I'll probably ever work with. And it's one of those things where a lot of them were unknown when we first started. So we had the benefit of getting all these people in before they became huge. And they're all going to be in movies and they're all going to be super talented. Um, one of them, uh, Chevy Chase. You was, mean Fletch. Uh, yes, yeah. I mean Fletch. And also I mean Fletch Lives. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, has obviously been huge comedy guy for over 30 years is that how old we all are now yeah i mean it, he was on the first season of snl so that makes it 38 years oh my god and yeah i mean he was, any, he was like my favorite when yeah, i was a kid anybody who has any interest in going into comedy or just a fan of comedy odds are really good you like chevy chase a lot and uh, uh I, yeah. I consider myself no exception to that rule uh i i, I loved like seeing old snl's with 
Gerald Ford falling down and, uh, you know, Weekend Update yeah. with Chevy Chase. And you just... have that Cops and Robertson's jacket that you yeah. always wear. It's satin jacket. It's blue. It's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have a matching hat. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know that. Oh, yeah. 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 Caps and Robertson's, it says on it. <laughs> That's actually what it does. Yeah, that was that was a gift from the uh, cast to everybody on the crew. And then on the back it says Fresh Bells. <laughs> oh, no. Inside jokes are the best. But uh, anyway, so you're talking about oh, Mr. Chase. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we, uh, we all have heard that Chevy can be a little cantankerous in his old age or at any age, as you've heard from old SNL stories. Yeah, those stories are uh, are not secret. Chevy and Bill Murray getting into a fist yeah. fight right before the show. I, I've read that. I enjoyed reading about uh, that, so yeah. And I have not gotten in any fist fights with the man, but for the whole first season I worked there, I, he thought I was a background actor. <laughs> <laughs> he saw me, um, I was eating, like I went to craft service to get some food, and he kind of walked up behind me, and he goes, hey, no, you know background's not supposed to eat here until the main cast does? And I'm like, whoa. And then he kind of winked at me, like as if to joke, he's like, but you're okay. Like, oh, that's oh, so good. Oh, you had a shared moment with It Fletch. was such a nice thing he was trying to do if I was a background yeah. actor instead of a guy who wrote in his show. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's uh, there's been some fun Chevy shenanigans. Uh, we recorded his uh, DVD commentary in season one. He was in New York, which is where he lives a lot of the time. And so uh, co- commentary is being recorded by everybody else in Los Angeles. So he was like wired in. Right. About halfway through it, they realized he was watching it four minutes up- apart than everybody else. But nobody nobody knew because he's always just kind of like babbles about things and doesn't really make sense a lot. And he's like, he just complains and you, t- you just learn to tune it out. So it's just like, you know, why are you guys talking about Joel? He's not on screen right now. Like, okay, Chevy. Oh, Chevy. And then it's like, oh, no, he's watching a scene that happens in four minutes. And he really is wondering why Joel is not on screen while everyone else is talking about it. I guess we should listen to him more. I thought you were going to say he was watching a different episode, which would, you know, either way, it's great. But, yeah. uh, that... And it's like, it's not, not his fault that the, the track wasn't lined up. It just, it just says something that everyone kind of disregarded his complaints because they yes. were just so used to them. One of the things that we'll talk about in a moment is the fact that both you and I are veterans of the uh, Wolf Films Wars. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, and, but, and of the NBC Page Wars. Yes, exactly. Uh, we'll talk about both of those, but I wanted to uh, take a moment and talk about the very special episode of Community that was done, Law & Order style, which I believe it was the episode before your first episode. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, so talk a little bit about what in, went into that and if your expertise, you, for our listeners, you worked on Criminal Intent, I worked on SVU. So neither one of us- I worked on Original Flavor too, man. I forgot that you did. Yeah. See, I was going to say neither one of us worked on the good one, but you're right. You, oh, I was there. you also worked on Trial by I, Jury. I, I have a an iPod that says Law and Order season 15 on it. Or I something. forgot. Yeah, <laughs> and you were and you worked on Trial by Jury, and did you work on uh, the other one, Conviction? Or yeah, yeah. I, so I was there for a while. You you had uh, your hand in a lot of the uh, a lot of the Wolf Films pie. Yes. I'm not implying anything with that. I'm just literally talking about pies cooling on the windowsill. Anyway, so did your expertise factor in as, you know, obviously you didn't write that Law & Order episode, but were you able to help in ways that people weren't quite... Well, that was written by uh, Megan Gantz, who's a huge SVU fan. Oh, okay. She will watch the marathons, and she, like, that was like a labor of love for her. I'm sure she's a nice person despite that, but anyway, move Uh, on. (laughs) Uh, But I, I um, I was in the room for a lot of that, so there was a lot of, like... 
oh, I know how this move works in Law and Order world. Like, you can see a clock through the window, and that's how if you, it's a picture, but you go into the background and you see this thing, and you just know those machinations of this, like, this is how a plot turns on Law and Order. This is where the um, the, the longshoreman knows way too much, and the convenience store guy remembers sneaker color. Yeah, it's always like, oh, let me see that picture. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, I remember him. It was kind of weird. I remember he was tugging at his shoulder. Like, maybe he got hurt or something, but I didn't really think nothing of it. And then, of course, that guy that I just did the great voice for, uh, turns out he murdered four people. Of course. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, yeah, it was definitely, like, a weird, like, um, combining of worlds because I've been trying to – I've been, you know, I've been a comedy writer trying to get into writing comedy for television for so long and and working on on these Law & Order shows in the meantime. And then as soon as I stop working on the Law & Order shows and get on a comedy (laughs) show – we immediately start writing one about Law and Order. Yeah, yeah, it's true, and uh, we'll uh, we'll take it back now a couple decades, basically. About uh, you and I basically started the same way, but not at the same time. You were an intern on Conan. Now, mm-hmm. when were you an intern on Conan? I, I was don't want an to put intern you on, the spot. on exactly. Conan in the summer of 1998, and I was an intern on Conan the fall of 1997. Mm-hmm. So that uh, is is a little bit before you. And this is. If- Kids late night with Conan O'Brien, a oh, show that was in New York yeah. forever ago. This this is not during the uh, long successful run of the Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien, nor is it during Conan on TBS. This is late night with Conan O'Brien, which uh, I believe for both of us probably the show that we felt was like the best show in late night, the one we most identified with. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Like obviously Letterman was huge, yes. but Conan was the one that like you felt like you discovered if you were our age because you were just like, oh my god, this is so good. Why yeah. is nobody? And if you it. if you talk to people who are maybe like five, ten years older than us, Letterman was like their thing. And I liked Letterman and I did watch it, but like Conan was basically our Letterman. Yeah. It was Ironically, like, like Cheers cheer Seinfeld for me because like Cheers, my parents like, you have to watch this and I didn't. Yeah. Oh my God, this is great. You're right. But Seinfeld was the one where I'm like, this new thing, right. no one knows yeah, about no, it. Why, yeah, exactly. Watch, please. And the the so the the thing was uh, about Conan for me anyway. The first time I, I well I watched the first one because I'm like I want to see what this guy's all about and I'm like yeah it's all right but I didn't watch it again for months and then I did watch it like a lot of people did when Letterman was on and I'm like oh this show's actually gotten like really funny in the time I remember really well too it started with what was probably an expensive piece it was like they made it look like a, a like a late night soap opera like a primetime oh, soap yes. opera last time on Conan O'Brien and there's like there's like I think he's like trying to drown Andy and he's yeah. like I want my money there's just all this great stuff I'm like oh my god this is before the show it even was, starts it was um, very sketch based especially yeah. in those early those, years yeah when uh, Smigel Robert Smigel was the head writer mm-hmm. and uh, Dino whose name I always say wrong Stematopoulos yeah, he was uh, there. Who, who plays Starburns on Community yes which that was another fun like um, full circle thing because I, I got to talk to him when he was on he, he also wrote for Community he was like a, um, a part time writer so I would, I would talk to him about the old Conan days. Um, we were never he there did, at the same time, yeah. but we knew a lot of the same people. I, I was there. He came and visited and did uh, – he would always do this bit on Thanksgiving with a turkey because he would uh, do yeah. all the puppets. The, uh, yeah, yeah so I, I saw – yeah. He was, he was Tamari the Ostrich too, I think, right? Uh, you know what? I think you're right, actually. I forgot <laughs> I forgot about Tamari the Ostrich. Uh, yeah, so – but anyway, so we both uh, started out as interns on Conan, and I had – what I thought was actually a great opportunity, I just dumb luck because I was there five days a week, 
ended up being the music intern. So every day I would be down at uh, the page desk, which is right outside the studio. At least this is the way things were, you know, in the 90s when the show actually existed. And you would sit down there and whenever the, the, the guest band or the house band, the Max Weinberg 7, needed anything, I was there to just help out. And I worked for uh, Debbie, the uh, music uh, coordinator. And uh, I had a great time there, but I was actually pretty far removed from where the writers were during the day. But then I would I would get to see a lot more uh, than other people did. Now, were you just a general intern? Or? I was a general intern for my first half of my internship. Then whoever, I forget, had your job, your old job, um, left. So halfway through, I You became, started working for Debbie. I became the music intern, yeah. So I, I, I had your job gig for a little that bit. That probably came up at some point. I don't know that I remembered that you worked for Debbie, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, that, that, that's, why I, that's why I knew Max so well. And, 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 <laughs> and you knew where this was going. Yes. So, talk about how, uh, you know, Max Weinberg, very focused on uh, on his work. Didn't have much time to get to know the people, but, Tim, you, uh, was it on a weekend? It was a weekend. And our friend uh, Ronnie was with you? Yeah, Ronnie. Yeah. Uh, we, we basically, and, um, Looking back on it, everyone's always like, "Why would you do this?" But the answer is like money. You're, yeah, you're living in New York City. You're not I, making any money. Yeah, I'm, I'm living I, in New York for the summer. Like, just like, God, renting the smallest room ever. Like, it was like a repurposed living room. Living with these stockbrokers still cost like nine hundred dollars a month. Yeah, when I was an intern, was right when they they before they switched over to Metro Cards in New York. They you still had the bags of tokens and. Huh how you got reimbursed for your runs was you would tape the bag that the tokens were in to a piece of paper. So we all would scour the ground in the uh, subway station looking for these bags. And if you found one, you Which put it in Which were money, yeah. Yeah, that, I'm like, oh my God, that's $15. So, you know, you you, you couldn't turn them all in quickly. But uh, you're just like, it's yeah. like, oh, oh, I got $60 God. tonight. That sounds like PA scams when we yeah. were working for, Mileage. for Wolf. And just, yeah. When, just like, oh my God, I just lost that receipt, so I'm out 50 bucks. But I know this hamburger joint that will write you a receipt <laughs> right. for 50 bucks if you ask them. Uh, yeah. I know the one gas station in L.A. that's like, yeah, sure, whatever. I, I know where to go. So if you need that, just let me know, world. But anyway, so you got to spend time with Max because you needed money. That's, oh, yeah. That's so that we from. never even got around to it. So basically he had a new house he was building, and part of that was he had his big field that he needed to be de-rocked, which I don't know if that's a term, an industry term for landscaping. But I bet you can figure out what it means because yes. there's rocks and you wanted to de-rock yeah, them. So yeah, so basically he dropped me and Ronnie off the morning and we just like went around with a wheelbarrow and put rocks in it like all day long. Manual labor. Manual like, labor. Like, but he did, he did pay us, and, and and people always like can't believe Max made you do that. I'm like, hey man, like I had no income. I needed that like fifty bucks or whatever. That was probably too little, but for me, it would meant everything. Yeah, yeah. That's the point where fifty bucks feels like five. And he would kind of like show up every few hours and just be like, hey, like I hear Bruce might stop by. Like, yeah. oh really? The first time you think maybe, and then like the fourth time you're just like, shut up, man. Like I know Bruce isn't coming yeah. to watch me take rocks Br- out of your Bruce field. Bruce doesn't even know where you live. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, yeah, and that's always one of my favorite Max Weinberg stories. And uh, I will tell my favorite Max Weinberg story that I actually did not witness, but I did get on authority from a couple people who I will not name. This is not that bad, so I feel okay telling it. There's the NBC Fitness Center, uh, I believe, on the eighth floor. <laughs> and uh, I believe uh, Sicardo knows this. And uh, I'm not going to say who told me this, but I, I do believe it. I have no doubt in my mind that uh, Max would finish, you know, after working out. Absolutely going to have to take a shower. And uh, he would put his one leg up on the bench where you would change in the locker room. 
and he would uh, kind of stand there squatting while he used a blow dryer on his pubic region. So you would uh, just kind of go around the corner, and uh, there's Max Weinberg drying his pubes. And uh, <laughs> I was not told this by one person on one day. I was told this by a couple different people on different oh, days. Oh, no, this isn't like the welcome packet when you started working at NBC. <laughs> it's like on the cover. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like, and there's the NBC experience in Studio 8H where you'll find Saturday Night <laughs> and Live. And here's the real NBC experience. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, that was such a crazy building to be in. I was so excited because 30 Rock, before it became a TV show, you felt like it was famous before that because you always saw that that's where SNL was. Letterman would use it. Conan would use it. You would see so much of it. And just being in that building, you know, it was like little things like, oh, I'm online for the ATM and, oh, Tom Brokaw's behind me. Yeah, I guess he needs cash too. Or you would just see people in the commissary. Or it, it's, it's lunchtime, so I guess I'll take my lunch and I'll sit in the bleachers at SNL and, like, watch Beck soundcheck. Yeah, right, exactly, which is, like, some of the, the more amazing things that uh, you got to do. But also I, uh, um, statute of limitations has run out on this world. But uh, we shot a public access TV show. We in, did when we were building. pages, yeah, called uh, The Anti-Show. Yeah, uh, Kevin Miller and Andrew Tavani. Yeah, they were involved in a, in a great project. Uh, two of our friends were uh, behind that. But it was crazy. We were we would like sneak like a live audience of 50 people into this little control room that nobody used. It was meant to be used on tours. Yes, it was from the end of the NBC tour. Uh, it was called Mini Control. It was a miniature control room. Yeah. And you would have people come in, and they would do the weather. You know, you'd, you'd get somebody from the audience, they would do the weather. Somebody could be a fake newscaster and you know not too different from the control room we're sitting in right now yes exactly (laughs) it's a lot it's a lot like a radio control room uh filled with cameras for our friends at loveline but uh that was part of our experience as an nbc page uh so i was an intern at conan you were an intern at conan i lucked out i uh got to enter my entire senior year of college because of you know just where i lived and i i kind of structured my course load the right way and I then interned at SNL. So I felt like I was a pretty good candidate to become an NBC page. It still took me months to do it. And it's amazing when you talk to people years later about how hard it was to get into oh, that program. Ridiculous. But when you've interned there, they're like, usually somebody you worked for was a page. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, let me let me send this to Ann Jackson. little name drop there for you. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'll pass it along, you know. And, and, you know, they just need people that need to give tours that are reasonably smart uh, in some cases, reasonably smart, not in every case. But uh, they just, you know, you just need people there to, to do that aspect of it, and then they'll find their own opportunities. But we in the interviewed, like, these those panel interviews. It was, like, four of them interviewed, like, eight of us at a time. Really intimidating like, stuff, yeah. Weird, and, like, you don't know who to look at when you're talking to who, like, it's just, ugh. The best way to describe it is for anybody who's seen The Social Network, when, uh, quote-unquote, Mark Zuckerberg Jesse Eisenberg is there kind of explaining everything and there's all those lawyers. It kind of feels like that. You know, we're all like overdressed. You know, we're all like in our very early 20s wearing, you know, suits that probably yeah. are two sizes And, and half the us. time you're listening to seven other people talk and you're just like kind of sitting there and you're just like looking around. And at one point I caught eyes with like one of the other interviewers on the other side of the table who was also just kind of spacing out and looking around. And I'd heard later that she put an X next to my name because I had, quote, weird eye contact. <laughs> ah, see, that's, yeah, see, yeah. I don't know what came out of the uh, the interview. I definitely remembered from my panel the people who weren't going to get in. But most of the people on my panel did. I started with 10 people, and I'm not going to name everybody, but Sicardo knows who most of them are. So you can imagine some of those people who are on my panel and the things they said, and I'm just like, well, that guy's not getting hired. Oh, there's no chance. Nope, nope, they, they all showed up. 
it's it was a lot of fun being a, a page at NBC. Uh, it is supposedly it's harder to get into now, but I mean the opportunities that you get, it's crazy. Because even like the bad jobs are. Uh, okay, you're going to work the Rosie O'Donnell show in the morning where you help the audience find their seats, and then you'll work Conan in the evening. And part of like working a show is you have what they call a studio stay. So you stand there and you watch the sh- You literally watch the show. You're supposed to watch the audience, make sure nothing crazy happens, but you're watching the yeah, show. Yeah, no one's watching. Especially when you're at the back of the studio, it's like, well, I'm looking at the audience, but I'm also looking past I, the I audience. I never once like walked up to an audience member and said, stop chewing that gum. Like, not that I saw it all the time. I just wasn't even looking. Yeah, right, exactly. I was right, just exactly. watching TV. And, I mean, it's it's such a fun job, and it's great that 30 Rock, the TV show, had Kenneth the Page because people kind of at least somewhat understand our lives were nowhere near as interesting as Kenneth's, but it was nah. a lot of fun to be around you your favorite shows. You used to shows. have to explain what the job was, yeah. and now you don't. Yeah, you'd be around your favorite shows with some of like the most, you know, the funniest and most talented people. You would see huge movie stars and TV stars. The the Stones would be around sometimes, and uh, Paul McCartney. I never saw any of them, but I would hear people like, "Oh yeah, they showed and up." You and got ten dollars an hour. We did. We got ten dollars <laughs> an hour, and, uh, and this these are nineteen ninety nine dollars, and I feel like they don't make much more than that no, now. Probably don't. And uh, yeah, so we got paid to do it, and we would make crazy overtime. And oh, yeah. we would work on Saturdays a lot of the time, having to give tours. You're expected to work six yeah. days a week, right? And yeah, exactly. And but the 20 Saturdays a year where they do SNL, you want to work on. Oh Saturday. yeah, I would trade to people so I could work. Yeah, Saturdays. and I, it's like it's so much fun. And then like by the time I was towards the end of my page ship, as it were, I had the easiest job at SNL, which is eighth floor seater. Uh, if you watch SNL, there's a few seats down by the stage where the, they do the monologues, and then there's you know hundreds of seats up top. If you have the eighth-floor seater job, you are in charge of helping uh, 38 really important people find seats that have their name taped to them. <laughs> the best part of that was you would have to hold those seats and hold those seats, and then when it's like a couple minutes before the show, it didn't matter whose name was on it, you would rip that tape off and you'd have to fill those seats. So I would always go find my friends that I had helped find. See, I, there are so many people that I put in the f- two front rows at SNL when I was a page. A lot of times for the dress rehearsal, but that's all right. I always say- I thought it was cool to go to the dress rehearsal. I always, yeah, because I always knew there was a dress rehearsal, which for people who don't know, and maybe you don't care that much about SNL, but if you're still listening to this, you probably care at least a little bit. They do a two-hour dress rehearsal at 8 o'clock on Saturday, and then they cut out about a half an hour of that. And sometimes there's a lot of reasons why stuff gets cut out. Sometimes there's things that you can't believe get cut out and don't resurface a couple weeks later. So the the dress rehearsal, you're getting to see more show. Yeah, and, and then you go home and you see, oh, the, the, they they changed that and this they moved that over and this right. wasn't the opening sketch and they cut that other one and you know it, it's interesting. Yeah, and like weekend update would be a good like five minutes longer. And uh, the first taping I went to was when I was an intern at Conan. John Lovitz hosted a musical guest, Jane's Addiction. This is in November 1997. I don't remember the exact day, but I feel like I remembered more than any of you expected. Our good friend Norm MacDonald was the Weekend Update anchor at that point, and uh, it did not go well for Norm that night, and this is before he got replaced by Colin Quinn. And I have a tape of it. You can hear the jokes, and you hear one voice laughing, and that voice is indeed me. <laughs> uh, it's great. I was laughing so hard it hurt, and it wasn't in the way that I'll laugh at somebody when they're not doing well. It was the way that I'm just like, oh, my God, these jokes are so funny. Why is no one laughing? And then it makes it made me laugh a little bit harder. It, that, that can define my taste in comedy my whole life is these jokes are so funny. Why is nobody laughing? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we really got 
all these crazy opportunities and you would get assignments on shows and I had like months where I was in the I, I was assigned to the Rosie O'Donnell show but I got assigned uh for the last two weeks of the SNL season to SNL which was like the plum assignment for a page I uh, lucked out that a couple people were uh, – they just moved on. I think they got actual jobs. So for the last two weeks of the season – Yeah, and these people who don't understand, like, when you're a page, like, you have this job, and then there's, like, a ticking clock on it. You get to work there for a year. Exactly a year. Yeah. So I, by like, the way, I was there for 50 out of 52 weeks, so I yeah. was pretty close. So yeah. so you, everyone's – you're trying to get a real job, quote-unquote, the whole time. So people are leaving and, like, oh, wow, that guy's now a PA on Cosby or, or whatever. Um, or, Not the Cosby Show, but the CBS oh, no, Cosby. show that's just called um, Cosby. His, yeah. What was his new name? It wasn't Heathcliff Huxtable. I actually forget what Hilton? it was. Hilton? Yeah, you're right. It was Hilton, yeah. I, I interviewed to be the audience coordinator for that show. Did not get it. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so there's all these different assignments that you can get, and uh, some, you know, and there, there, it's not just on shows. Like there would be a sports assignment. You could go up to like the executive floor, the 52nd floor. You could be like the page in Bob Wright's office, which you know, for some people, that's exactly what they wanted because you know they were, sort of had designs on that world, and you know, you got executive lunches apparently. So that that's probably why I should have done it, just because as much as I love yeah, lunch. Yeah, I had. Oh man, I had this job. It was. Basically, you were like the central scheduler for crew in the building, like camera crews for the shows, and it would just be like it was late because it was around the clock. Because if, if a cameraman calls in sick for the Today Show at 2 a.m., well, you need to get somebody there because the Today Show will go on the air no matter what. So you better get someone there to help, who is qualified to run that camera. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you had that for a while, and you – ended up you didn't give tours for very long no right? i i did not want to do that so i just took the first like assignment i could get which was with this less desirable assignment yeah um but at least i was like doing stuff i don't even remember you giving tours except uh i always will tell the story of when we first actually got to know each other you were basically it was your first week you were accompanying myself and uh, a, a very lovely young lady named Carla who moved on from the TV world years and years ago uh, this was actually like I think her last day and uh, we were giving tours and you were just there like yeah just watch how the tours go and because I was friends with Carla we were taking a lot of pictures and of course I took a picture with Tim Sicardo because I was just like oh I keep making the new kid take all these pictures I'm like oh let's get one and uh, I will actually put that picture up with this version of the black cast oh yeah that's like the I don't have too many pictures of me as a page but that one and, that, kind and of you're like in I think you're in the one. suit and this is before you had a beard so it's always uh -huh. like it's always like a weird you know and I, I look like a child oh, but uh, we all we all didn't we all you know you were just on that tour and then I think just talking there I'm like oh, okay this guy's pretty funny he likes the same stuff I do and I think once I saw you in the commentary, we you should writing, do comedy together yeah, you were for the rest of our lives yeah basically <laughs> you were writing something I'm like all right this guy's great and uh, you know, so I mean, it's a, it's, it's all a great experience, you know, the whole thing. And you meet people. I mean, there's people, you know, we both moved to LA, so there's people we don't see as much anymore. But a lot of them still work together, are still friends. You know, I mean, uh, John Murray, who I went to college with, he met Stucky, and they are the famous Stucky and Murray because mm -hmm. they were pages together. Yeah. And there's a lot of those people who work together. They, you definitely look out for each other. And uh, I got my job at. Dennis Miller on CNBC because I had been an NBC page and I got this page alumni list and I was able to submit my resume to someone who had been a, she'd been a page here in LA so I didn't know her at all but the fact that I'd been a page I was able to get my resume on her desk she called me and they hired me as a PA yeah so, it's like low stakes 
skull and bones. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, like, no, it, it, yeah. People have been in it for however many years, and you all kind of know what's up if you've been in it, too. Yeah, and if, if not for that, you know, I probably wouldn't be on the radio show, and I met my wife on the TV show, the, the CNBC show. So it's like this crazy, you know, all these doors that opened, and they really only opened because I was a page. And it was great. I mean, it was also fun. You're friends with these people because you're on this terrible schedule in a way. The day itself is kind of fun for parts of it where you're working around TV, but it's really long days and you don't make any money. So you kind of have a pool of at any given moment, I think there's 65, 70 pages. So you're all like going out to drink really cheap beers or happy hour, this or that. So you're hanging out with a lot of these people and you made real, you know, know, there's 80 people who are relatively the same age and have the same interests and and same lack of income, you know, so therefore the same interests. So yeah, you have all these, these great opportunities and you just, you meet people. And obviously if they're page, they're probably interested in working in TV and a lot of them are interested in comedy. And yeah, we worked with, a lot of these same people, Tim and I, we started a little production company called Inside Joke uh, Productions. Yes, yes. And uh, some of uh, the listeners of the Dennis Miller Show have heard, not heard, but you've seen uh, some of our films and sketches and things. Uh, our first, I believe, uh, IJ-0001. Pr- production code. Production yes. code 001 was uh, So Happy Together, which mm-hmm. was a black and white film with Mr. Kevin Miller. John Murray and a bunch of people that we knew, right? Oh, yeah. Those are super fun. And we kind of like, and this comes up a lot, we started doing video stuff. Like, we missed YouTube by, like, two years. Yeah, exactly. By the time we finally- In the bad way. Like, we just missed it. Like, we'd make stuff, and we had no way of getting it out there. So, like- we would rent out places to screen yeah, our movies. Yeah, you rent we out a bar and, and send DVDs it. to people. Like yeah, you go to short film festivals. There was like this one magic guy you knew who, for like, you know, it would take him like three weeks and nine hundred dollars, but he could like maybe put something on the internet that you could watch slowly over your dial-up. Yeah, connection. and it would be like the size of a business card because it couldn't be any yeah, bigger. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, we missed it by a few years, and we did that short film. We did another short film called called How to Make It in New York and fifteen dollars a day. Mm-hmm. We did. Uh, a, uh, Which a was fake... shown on airplanes, remember? Uh, oh, oh, I forgot. How to, yeah, because uh, Kev... <laughs> exactly because we couldn't get on YouTube because that but, didn't exist. But, but we, we could, could get be on airplanes. On airplanes. Our friend Kevin, who ended up working at SNL, he starred in that movie, and people would see it when they were on flights, and they're like, "I saw a movie with you in it." So yeah, it's crazy. And then we did a uh, we did a fake reality show called Making the Joke, which was people that were you know working on creating a sketch show mm-hmm. and writing and living in a house and a lot of sketches, which would have been perfect for yeah. YouTube. <laughs> we later well we. As oh, in you yeah. later put those sketches on YouTube, so people have seen their sketches uh, that are probably my favorite is the flag, uh-huh. which people who are fans of Conan probably know Aaron Blair because he's kind of the online presence. Of oh that yeah, show. I forgot that Blair became such a huge like yeah. phenomenon. So on the internet so much so that that when he came out here with the Tonight Show, it actually was really hard for us to get together with him. And I've run into him a few times because we have mutual friends. It's always great to talk to him, but. Uh, you know, we knew him and, uh, you know, some other people, our friend Jason, who was a writer on The Daily Show. There's so many people that were involved in these things. And, uh, you know, just everybody's like, yeah, it'll be fun. Let's film that. And people were in our movies and our, our stuff. We were doing this on the side because some people, it might be really exciting to work on the Law & Order shows. But we didn't really find it fulfilling career-wise, I don't think. No, I think that's pretty safe no. to say for and both I've, of us. I've, like, learned the succinct way to say this because I've – you know, when you go to meetings as a writer, you basically have to explain your life uh, and, and what where you've been job wise. And I'm just like, well, what I learned from that time is I learned how to produce a television show. Oh yeah, that's I actually had a great no, way to say it. I had no interest in like 
you know, trying to get a script on Law and Order or becoming a writer there. Yeah. But you just learn the nuts and bolts of television production. And, you know, to the point where, like, you know, we made our short films, we basically used, like, the Wolf Films template of, like, uh, of the, the, the documents that we would put out. And everybody's and like, wow, that. you guys are so organized. And we're like, yeah. All yeah. We, we just, all we did is just change documents and put our yeah, information Yeah. So in we there. very much learned how to, how to physically create and schedule a production. And um, also, when you're working there, it's like, hey, man, I need a boom mic. I know the sound guy, like, he's got 300 of them. He'll yeah, borrow Yeah, right, exactly. And you're not borrowing equipment from the show. Like, these people are like, oh, yeah, I have that in my house. You, yeah, need, you, exactly. you need lights or whatever. You know, there's all that stuff. So it made it really easy, and it was great. We had all this stuff, but we really had nowhere to put it. Yeah. And I don't know what the inciting incident, as it were, that made you feel like it was time to move to L.A. I had thought about it. I had come out here in 2001 to visit a friend, and I'm like, all right, yeah, I kind of get it. It probably would be good career-wise, and... I like it. I could live here. It's not for everybody, but I, but I knew it was for me. But then in 2003, sometime, you decided. I think my, my inciting incident was we were getting near the end of a season. I was getting super comfortable because you and I kind of kept getting better jobs at these shows we yes. didn't want to be on. And we would get the summer raises. And we would get the summers off. Summers off, and you knew you were coming back because Law and Order is going to run forever, which is like, you know, job security is yeah. a huge and, thing. And we could do a whole podcast where we talk about how one summer we went on our uh, our very heterosexual uh, baseball m- Midwestern baseball extravaganza. We just saw a bunch of ballparks. It was a ton of fun. So those jobs afforded things like that. Yeah. You know, we were both off for the summer, knew we were coming back. None of our other friends were. Mm-hmm. So we're like, well, let's go drive around. So, so yeah, so yes. I like, felt myself stuff getting super comfortable in the law and order world and then also there were just few comedy opportunities i'm writing scripts but like i have no one to show them to because most agency representation and jobs are in los angeles and you know i'm a writer's assistant on law and order but like what does that mean like i want to be a writer's assistant on comedy well there's one out here and you they hired that one guy and that's whoopee yeah, exactly. The, uh, Which I would have taken Whoopi in a heart. I would have taken yeah. Hope and Faith. I, hope, I was just going to say Hope like, and Faith. That's why those were the two shows. But there's like, which means there's two jobs in town. Yeah. And, so, and yeah. you know, people will be like, oh, but what about what about SNL? What about Letterman? And it's like, yeah, there are jobs there. They're not for us. No. We didn't go to Harvard, you know, and that's a huge. And also, like, I'm, you know, I'm looking for entry level positions. Yeah. Like, I'm right, looking right. for this, like, you know, being an assistant there. Like, I, I it, and, and learn so basically yeah so opportunity and just before I could see myself just like being the guy who works at Law and Order for the next yeah. 15 years and doesn't want to be and, there you know most of our friends did stay and a lot of them are doing really well you know places like you know the MTV networks and things like that oh yeah they're, our, they're like, our, like Stucky Murray and Simi Kostanowicz kind of own all they're, this yeah movies. they're like creating all these shows and it, it seems great and you know to have gotten those opportunities would have been good but we both moved out to LA Various reasons that for me, the main reason was I just did not want to be in the law and order world anymore. Uh, perhaps inappropriate thing that I thought of law and order SVU as was the uh, rape of the week. It just felt like that, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, I can't be around this anymore. I just wanted to do something funny, and you were definitely moving. And I'm like, great, I was afraid to move, but now I don't have to be. We, you know, immediately plopped ourselves down underneath the Hollywood sign, yeah, Beachwood Drive in Los Angeles, which from, from now that I find out, like. Kind of everybody lives there for a little bit. Yeah, I, there's so many people. There's like uh, the, I know people that live there now that they just got out here, or they're like, oh yeah, I lived there for a few years. It'll be so. the um, 10th anniversary of that in August. Yes, I know exactly, and uh, we, we have to do something to celebrate. To go to the Beachwood Diner and get some pancakes. Or something. Oh, that place is great. Yeah, yeah. or maybe Roscoe's down on Gower. Uh, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe. But uh, yeah, so we lived there, and 
we had a few months where neither one of us worked, but uh, <laughs> I had more than that. Man. Yeah, yeah, and because uh, we should, no, no one explained to us that like TV shows hire their staffs in like June, and like every show's in the same cycle. At least at that point, when it was like very network dominated. Yeah. So we showed up in August with our suitcases, like where are the jobs at? And we're yeah. like nowhere. And, and people who might have wanted to give us jobs, and there were there were there were a few people who would have given me a job. They didn't have any jobs to give. They would have in in June or May, yeah. but uh, we were we were filming our movie, and uh, you uh, edited that movie when you got out here. Yeah, at least it gave me something to do. Yeah, and also like you know we didn't really know anybody out here, so I'm just like staring at all my old friends um, over and over again as I edit their faces to other shots of their faces. But it probably made you so tired of their faces. You're like, I'm glad I don't have to look at them in person anymore. I haven't talked to any of them since. <laughs> exactly. I had a few of them put down. Then. You know, we each end up getting jobs eventually. Uh, you had some short-lived ones. Yeah, I was on some sitcom pilots that didn't go. I did some background acting, which was a whole. I, f- I always forget I did that. And wasn't there like a week that you you had done like four shows and you were on those four shows? Oh yeah, the there was week. some week where like I was just like in the background of a bunch. Look of for shows. me on Vegas or Miss. It was the the, the uh, without a trace. Ve- Vegas without a trace. Um, I was an industrial commercial for Vons. Like I was, we went to a, a baseball field uh, in Rancho, Rancho Cucamonga, Cucamonga where, where the, the Quakes play, home of the Quakes. Yeah, and we were all in baseball uniforms that said like the produce all stars and like we were like throwing like I was I had a catcher's mitt and like a pitcher would throw like a piece of lettuce into it and <laughs> it's just like all sorts of weird stuff and so you're doing all those things and and uh you I think before I did was your first actual like full-time job that you had for more than a few weeks was it back at Wolf Films yeah, yeah I worked on two pilots like for like a month and a half each and then mm-hmm. you know as pilots do they stop um, yeah and then uh since Wolf Films is bi-coastal uh Somebody got fired for embezzling from the company, which they, was amazing. By the way, needed, I wish we could tell. They that needed story. somebody, and I was. We playing. have two good embezzling stories that we can't tell. Oh, anyone but so here. many! They're good from different companies stories. completely, but we can't tell them. Find me, find me on the streets, and I'll tell you. Yeah. Both. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll definitely tell you. So you ended up back there, and uh, I'll get us caught up in a second. I uh, worked on Dennis Miller's CNBC show for uh, about a year and a half. And that's a that's stuff I've delved into a little bit on the Black Cats, and I'll certainly talk more about how great that was for me in the future. So I do that. Everything's going great. I'm writing jokes for the show. I'm on camera in bits. Uh, this is this is like everything I ever wanted. Yeah, I'm so was, glad I moved to awesome. L.A. And then CNBC canceled the show. Boom! They uh, told us in a mass email. So that happened. Yeah, I, and, I, you gotta love that. Yeah, and uh, my now wife was about to graduate from uh, from college. Uh, right at that moment when the show got canceled and she was going to go to Europe for a month. So I was like, oh, my God, I, 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 had, I had a lot going on, and now, now I got nothing. So I had that summer. I don't even know what I did. I, I, I visited some friends in other parts of the country. Why not spend money when I don't have any more coming in? And uh, I ended up back at Wolf Films when someone got fired. That's what for- happens. Stealing from the company, basically, <laughs> not literally, but uh, overbilling for uh, for yes, hours. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, so being less than accurate about hours worked. Oddly enough, someone that we were friends with when we moved out here, yeah. eh, weren't so friendly with anymore at that point. So I ended up at Wolf Films. You were at Wolf Films, and there we were again. Yeah. And so we had moved. We had left New York because we didn't want to work for Wolf Films anymore, and then uh, we ended up working for Wolf Films again. I was uh, let go, and then I ended up uh, coming to work with Dennis uh, on the radio, which uh, opened a whole new uh, world for me. And then uh, you ended up through a series of events no longer at Wolf 
and then you did a couple of comedies. Unfortunately, we have to now uh, uh, condense yeah, that part. A show called Ten Items or Less on TBS. It was like an improv show. It was kind of like Curb Your Enthusiasm. And yeah. did Ten Items or Less help you get to a community, basically? Uh, it was at least bridge that. I don't, I don't know that they said, like, wow, like you were so good on Ten Items or Less. We want you here. But it was just like another writer's yeah. assistant. And I actually, as a producer, by the time I left, it was another credit. and It was a comedy credit, which was good because – no one, no one in Hollywood in general wants to be the first person to let you do something. They always right. want to see that you've done it successfully somewhere else. So the fact that um, I had done writers and stuff for Law and Order was great, but I also had a comedy credit at times or less, which made Community able to hire me without taking a risk. So, it all so came. that's the uh, the suddenly condensed version of that. Uh, hopefully, we'll have uh, Tim back another time, and uh, we will uh, explain how it all went. But I thank you so much for giving us so much of your time, and uh, we will uh, see you again in the future. I hope. Bye, everybody. But uh, I didn't want to take any more time away from the podcast because why? What's coming up? Oh yeah, it's Tebow time. The best to the fans and everybody, and Gator Nation. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I promise you one thing. You have never seen any player in the entire country play as hard as I will play the rest of the season. You never see a team play harder than we will the rest of the season. God bless. Here's Tebow. Going to run. Jump pass. Go to the end zone. And a touchdown. David Nelson caught the jump pass in the end zone. David Nelson scores. The Florida Gators have won another BCS National Championship. They're second in the last three years. Let's do it again. I'm coming back. I'm sorry, Christian. You were saying something about me being the best? The best minute of internet radio. Are you ready? So, a couple of news stories about Tebow this past week while he waits for a team to pick him up, uh, an NFL team, that Keep is. Keep waiting. To pick him up uh, so they can win the Super Bowl next season. Uh, Tim Tebow worked out with uh, former NFL quarterback Chris Winky. I don't know if that's how you say his last name, but that's how it looks, and it sounds fun to say. Well, he knows how to pick talent. Go on, yes. So he worked out with Chris Winky. I don't know about this uh, former NFL uh, quarterback's career and how he was as a quarterback, but he's clearly a genius. I mean, listen to some of these things that he said. <laughs> I was quite impressed with his, Tebow's, ability to make adjustments. I know he's worked with a lot of different quarterback coaches. I had him for two days, and I was impressed with his approach. Uh, he said that he has to go to the right place. Coaches, ha- coaches have to put him in a position to be successful. Uh, he's, I, he believes that he's a guy who can get it done, that is, win a Super Bowl next season. Uh, also, Tim Tebow might be a film star along with a NFL Super Bowl quarterback. Uh, a producer of a Christian film, uh, David Gagurian. Uh, well, you really nailed that. You'll have to tell has, us more about it next week because this has been the best uh, minute of internet God radio. Bless. Tebow time with David Bujenski. We'll see you all next time.